0: All right, so we're up and running, and this is the uh, 16th of of August, and we're picking up at uh, Revelation chapter 16. We left off at verse 11, so today we begin with uh, verse 12, and this is the sixth bowl. All right, verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of the God Almighty. And look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who were watching for me who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. I'm keeping my clothes handy. And then and the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. All right, so the the sixth bull here has a very Strategic purpose, and it one, it's one that God allows and that He facilitates. He dries up the Euphrates River, and actually, this is not so much of a miracle anymore because there are so many uh, uh, little little dams and tributaries that are that are man-made uh, that it, it it's not too hard to dry dry up the Euphrates River at this time. But the purpose of drying up the great Euphrates is to allow the kings from the east to march across dry land into uh, Israel and into Jerusalem. And the staging area, uh, the place where they're all coming to, is called Armageddon. And this is the only place in Bible that you're, you're going to see that name. So... Before we go on, a couple questions at least that that were raised in my mind about why these forces of evil are gathering against other forces of evil. This is interesting. There's a good theory, I kind of like it, from the Dallas Theological Seminary scholars that may explain this. The dragon, Satan, remember, knows what's coming, or rather he knows who's coming. He knows Jesus is coming back. He knows Christ's return is imminent at this point. So his, uh, while his demonic forces are out luring the kings from the east to assemble near the city of, of Megiddo, by the way, Armageddon means the Mount of Megiddo, and uh, Megiddo itself is thought to mean slaughter, so we have the Mount of Slaughter in that name. Satan's ulterior motive is to amass enough forces around Armageddon near Jerusalem to defeat Christ when he comes back to earth. That's Satan's plan here. That's not what's going on in the minds of the kings of the east. They're thinking, there's this Antichrist guy, and and people are starting to push back on him. He's not the shiny thing that, that he that he uh, offered himself to be when he first appeared. And so they're thinking because of these demonic forces that the uh, enemy sends out, that Satan sends out, they're convincing these Kings, Hey, we can defeat this anti antichrist guy and we can be in charge. And while we're at it, we'll take care of and, and defeat those other Kings that are, that are showing up as well. So the kings that are coming think they're there to defeat the Antichrist and to defeat each other. Satan's plan is get them all there. And so when Jesus touches down, uh, Satan will have huge armies from all over the world ready to defeat him. Interesting uh, theory, and I think, it has some, I think it has some validity. All right. This is the only place, again, in Scripture where Armageddon is used as a name. Megiddo, uh, the city whose name means place of slaughter, is a, located about 55 mi- miles north of Jerusalem. And Armageddon really is not one battle here. It's a campaign. It's uh, the enemy's campaign ag- against the world and against uh, against God as well. It's not really a singular event. So from the beginning of the tribulation period, We have this unholy trinity. Remember, we talked about them. We have the dragon, Satan, the beast from the sea, which is the Antichrist, and then the false prophet, the beast from the earth. And they all arise, and they begin to work in concert for one main purpose, and that is to destroy Israel and uh, to defeat Christ when he comes back. Now, this war has been building up. This campaign has been building up from chapters 4 to 16. So it's not, it suddenly occurs, things are building up gradually as we go along. And uh, remember the strange anomaly here. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false, false prophet are bent on destroying Israel permanently and defeating Christ upon his return. It's arrogance, isn't it? to think that you can defeat Christ, but that's that's the nature of, of, uh, of Satan, of the enemy. It's a devious, very devious scheme. And so the devil incites the world leaders to gather for the war of all wars, and they, he deceives them into thinking they are battling this world leader named the Antichrist. So the real strategy of the dragon, again, is to drag all the world's armies that he can to this place of the plains of Megiddo, which range from the Mediterranean Sea to the north of Israel. And his ploy is to use these world armies to defeat Christ when he returns to earth. And again, the the armies think they're battling the Antichrist uh, to take power and territory away from him, but the Antichrist knows the plan is to use uh, them to defeat Christ. Zechariah 14, 14, Zechariah 14, 1 through 3, gives us an inkling of what's happening here. I'll just read it for you. Zechariah 14, 1 through 3. Watch, for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half of the population will be taken into captivity, and the and uh, the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fought in times past. So this plot is developing now over the three and a half years of the early tribulation period, and it's now heating up in the second half of the tribulation period, remember the antichrist first arises as a peacemaker you know it's love drugs and rock and roll i guess he he's just saying to everyone i am here to bring peace and he does he he forges uh, peace compacts a- around the world he orchestrates an early peace treaty uh, with israel uh, as as well so as time passes though and we report we we move past the midpoint of the tribulation period the false Prophet, remember, rises up and he brings this religious aspect uh, to the Antichrist. So the Antichrist is no longer just a political figure, he becomes a religious figure. And the false prophet Mm. is convincing people this is someone that must be worshiped. We got to build this temple and we have to have this image of him in there so that we can worship him. So the false prophet is convincing the world that this is. Uh, Not a God, but maybe God himself. And uh, the Antichrist, as this is happening, does a 180, and he starts to become a very violent uh, leader. And as the false prophet directs people to worship him, the Antichrist uh, begins to be very evil, and he begins to be very violent uh, to hold on to his power. And remember, without the sign of the beast uh, at that time you can't you can 't conduct business if you want to make money if you want to make a living, you must accept the sign uh, of the beast. So the world leader, the Antichrist, now is poised to execute the plan of his mentor, the dragon, Satan. Now, what happens in a relatively short amount of time? is that the Antichrist begins to show his true colors and he moves through three stages of world focus. And let me review those very quickly. He's the peacemaker and he's worshiped around the world for his apparent good attempts at bringing world peace. Now here's, here's evidence of that in Daniel 9.27. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half the time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate creed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. So essentially, he becomes very evil, and he he, uh, begins to order that people uh, worship him. So he becomes, and this is the second stage now, he becomes this tyrant. He becomes bloodthirsty, narcissistic, uh, self-worshipping, a self-proclaimed God who rules through violence and intimidation with the help of the false uh, prophet. And then the third phase of this Antichrist is that after all of that, much of the world now towards the end of the tribulation period they begin finally to see him for who he is uh, his hypocrisies begin to show and the people see him in his failures to uh to come uh, around and fulfill promises that he has made and so remember the uh uh behind both the antichrist and the false prophet is satan or the dragon and and he's Uh, he's egging them both on, he's providing them with direction and power to accomplish his plan to defeat Christ when he comes back. All right, so Battle of Armageddon, actually not the final, final battle, we're going to see that in Revelation 20, Uh, but uh, let, let me give you a little bit of history about the War of Armageddon. And this is from uh, GotQuestions.org. I thought it was very, uh, very good. It says, The Valley of Armageddon was famous for two great victories in Israel's history. One, Barak's victory over the Canaanites in Judges 4. Two, Gideon's victory over the Midianites in Judges 7. And Armageddon will also be the site for two great tragedies, the death of saul and his sons in first samuel 31 and the death of king josiah in second kings 23 so this location already has tremendous historical uh value in in biblical history and it's and again it's going to be the site of the, of uh this huge world battle coming up I want to go back uh, and and review something about the Antichrist rising as a peacemaker. He makes a covenant with the nation of Israel, and he's allowed God allows him to demonstrate his miraculous powers, including raising himself from the dead. Remember that from Revelation uh, thirteen three, and it was a, a metaphor. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed, and the whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. You see, so he was allowed to perform this miracle, essentially raising himself from the dead, so to speak. (coughs) Excuse me. All right, now having established himself as a world leader through peacemaking and miracles, the Antichrist starts to show his true colors and he demands to be worshiped and he turns violent. I'm going to turn now to Daniel eleven thirty six to 39 to give us a sense from Daniel the prophet about what's going on now. Verse 36 to 39, Daniel 11. The king will do as he pleases, exalting himself and claiming to be greater than every god, even blaspheming the god of gods. He will succeed, but only until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined will surely take place. He will have no respect for the gods of his ancestors or for the god loved by women or for any other god for he will boast that he is greater than them all. Instead of these, he will worship the god of fortresses, a god his ancestors never knew, and lavish on him gold, silver, precious uh, stones, and expensive gifts. Claiming this foreign god's help, he will attack the strongest fortresses. He will honor those who submit to him, appointing them to positions of authority, and dividing the land among them as their reward. So this is the picture of the Antichrist that was uh, prophesied back in in Daniel, and he moves from being uh, a European. And again, he is uh, he is a Gentile, as, as most probably as we can tell. He moves from being a European leader and peacemaker to this violent, uh, tyrannical global leader, and he fancies himself to be not only a god, but the god, and he sets up an image of him to be worshipped in a temple. So the world begins to see him as uh, he becomes more violent and dictatorial, and as he breaks promises he has made, and finally, armies rise up to fight him. And remember, Satan loves this because he wants to see all of these armies amass here at Armageddon so he can use them to defeat Christ when he returns. All right, here's Daniel 11.40 again. Then at the time of the end, the king of the south will attack the king of the north. You see these armies that are amassing now, they're not only attacking the Antichrist, they're attacking each other because they want to be top dog, so to speak. The king of the north will storm out with chariots, chariots, Charioteers and a vast navy, he will invade various lands and sweep through them like a flood. So, now whoever the king of the south may be, he's the first to attack the antichrist. He gets there first to him, and he's followed then by the king of the north. So, as far as the attack upon the antichrist goes, the kings of the south get there first, followed by the kings of the north. And remember, these are not allies. These are competitors, they're independent kingdoms, vying for control of the world by defeating the Antichrist. Uh, Dr. John Walford from Dallas Theological Seminary makes uh, an interesting comment here. He says, Daniel's prophecy described a great army from Africa, that's the king from the south, including not only Egypt, but other countries of that continent. This army, probably numbering in the millions, will attack the Middle East from the south. At the same time, Russia, that's the north, and other armies to the north will mobilize another powerful military force to descend upon the Holy Land and challenge the world dictator, the Antichrist. Although Russia will have had a severe setback about four years early in the prophetic sequence of events, she apparently will have been able to recoup her losses enough to put another army in the field. So the South attacks first, <clears throat> possibly led by uh, by Egypt and, and other uh, armies and kings from, from Africa. For those, and I know, uh, John, you probably aren't going to, well, I know you're not going to be able to see it because I can't hold it up to the phone. I want to show you a couple of maps, so give me a second here. I'm going to try to throw them up on the, uh, on the screen. All right. Uh, so what, it, what we're seeing here is the location of Megiddo. Uh, you notice it is south of Galilee, north of Jerusalem, and uh, there, I've got something blocking it here. Uh, let me see. There you can see the uh, the Sea of Galilee uh, to the north east of Megiddo. All right. So this is it, it's kind of halfway between uh, the the Euphrates flowing out of the of, of the Sea of Galilee and and the Mediterranean Sea on, on the west. So there's a vast plain there. If you remember last week, I talked about the fact that Napoleon. Once stood there and, and said, wow, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> this would be the place for a great world war. And of course he was right. All right. Can, uh, can those of you on video, can you see that? All right.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. Yes. I can. To, yes. Uh, yes.
1: The
0: next one. All right, this is a uh, kind of moving in zooming in a little bit. You see Megiddo there towards the uh <clears throat> left of center of screen. Um, and this these uh cities that you see are basically uh old old testament uh, cities. You see Bethlehem if you look uh, to the upper left, you see Bethlehem to the north uh northwest there. So again, uh, just trying to give you an idea of where Megiddo was located. Let me uh, let me go to the next slide. There, there's another. Th- this one I kind of like. <clears throat> there you see the Sea of Galilee. You see Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. You see the Mediterranean Sea. You see where Tel Aviv is now, the West Bank. So what you see on this slide is the modern layout of uh, of where Megiddo is. Okay, and I think that's, oh, here's uh, two, two more. <clears throat> this is interesting. It, it's a depiction of where these armies are coming from. The Army of the South, um, Ethiopia, uh, maybe Sudan, probably Egypt, uh, coming in from the south, from the continent of, of Africa. The armies from the north, mainly Russia, <clears throat> probably Turkey with that as well. Last week, we talked about China. Remember that? Uh-huh. China is way east of where we are here, almost 4,000 miles to the east. All right. So whatever whatever way they're getting there, it's going to take them a, a, a little bit to get there. The, Probably the main armies are going to come from uh, Iran and Iraq <clears throat> to uh, to attack Israel and to attack the Antichrist. Okay, you also see Libya uh, there as well that will will come from the armies of the uh, of the South. Okay, Libya me, is a yeah. small
2: country. That's interesting, Mike.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're
2: saying that it'll come primarily from Iran and Iraq.
0: The the uh, eastern
2: yeah the eastern army
0: yeah uh libya i'm not because of where it's located it 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 could align with any of those really because it is uh because of where it's located right. it could align with egypt and the sudan as as they come north from the south not not sure but it's going to figure definitely figure into it uh, okay. But the the only if if you talk to a lot of the more conservative scholars, the only nation they're really willing to say with some certainty that we know of that's coming uh, would be Russia from from the north. Mm-hmm. Like whether China allies uh, with them, don't know. Whether whether China um, mounts on its airplanes and and sends its jets over, uh, we we don't know.
1: But uh, Russia, for sure. I haven't heard you uh, communicate where the United States is at all in this. I've heard other pastors' opinions, but what is from your studies? Where are where is the United States and Canada, and Mexico, in this?
0: I don't believe they will be involved. Uh, what other, does that
1: mean to you? Uh,
0: they won't be factors. We we won't be there. Uh, we'll either have been taken over. Uh, during the, uh, the tribulation period um, by the Antichrist's empire, um, I think geographically, probably North America is not even going to play a role uh, because it's, uh, it's really too far away. And I think probably by this time, the United States of America will have ceased to exist. Uh, most likely, it's going to be taken over by the Antichrist and and his uh, and his empire, is my guess. Uh, but you don't, don't see
2: that coming out of Russia or uh, China, Mike. This takeover. Who, who? What country do you have in mind?
0: Ru- Russia. Well, you mean to take over the U.S.? Yes. Well, remember, the Antichrist is a world leader. It's a world yes. power. The one world yes. order so all of the continents are basically going to fall under the spell of the antichrist Mm -hmm. Uh, they're they're all going to be forced uh to take the the sign of the beast and uh you know so we're all going to be in the same same position Uh, Mm -hmm. the armies really that that are, are being talked about are those that are closest to the middle east Right, and so we're looking at um, the the Russia part of Europe, possibly China. Uh, we're looking at uh, the the South in terms of uh, Egypt, uh, Sudan, and then uh, the East, probably Iran, Iraq, uh, maybe uh, Saudi Arabia as as well. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see the United States playing any role, nor the North American or South American continent at all. I think the main players are going to be from those countries that are uh, somewhat adjacent to the Middle East.
2: And they're all going to come against Israel, all of them, huh?
0: Yes, and remember, but th- their main thing is they want a piece of this Antichrist. Remember, they're 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 aiming for this guy because once they get him, then they own Israel and the whole the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and and of course, Satan's plan is great. Y'all come, start fighting each other, even fight my Antichrist. And uh, when Christ touches down, I'll be there to lead all of you in the battle to defeat him. That's his.
2: Heck, this is idea this is better than any mystery.
0: <laughs> well, it's uh, interesting. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. You know, um, it,
2: uh-huh. I Go was going to say, are you there? I was going to say, you know, as you know, we read Revelations, I mean, honestly, it is the battle of the Middle East with the Antichrist, and uh, as far as the United States, I know we're not going to be in that part at all. You know, we're done with. So, I think, I mean, someone said this, maybe Lori, I don't know who it was, but it seems like United States is going to be, you know, to me, seems like it's going to be destroying from within itself. Because Antichrist, to me, when I play pool, I feel he's the eight ball. There's a white ball and the an eight ball, right? And the battle's going to happen at the end, right? So I think that in my perception, because we are not mentioned, and it's not about United States, it's about Israel, uh, so it seems like it's going to destroy within itself because Satan is the ruler of the world, and that's the position God has given him at this point right now, you know, till that till that revelation ends, you know, of course he's going to be stomped on. Um, yeah. just the way that, you know, states is going itself you know the
0: direction it's going yeah and i think the other thing we have to consider is and and this comes back to what your worldview is regarding the rapture um i i think i believe the united states actually is going to uh remain although it it's being chipped away at right now i think it will remain a very uh christian oriented nation if not just cultural christianity uh the the that there will be a revival of sorts that we'll experience again i'm looking at guys like uh sean Foyt. um yes and i'm saying wow you know good for you sean (laughs) you know he's 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 just hearing from the Lord and, and, and he's bold and he's not, you know, nasty. He's not trying to be political. He's just responding to what God is telling him to do. I'm sorry. What?
2: Isn't he amazing, Mike?
0: I think he is amazing. And I think he's going to emerge if he, if he doesn't, well, let me, let me rephrase this. If he is wise enough to surround himself, and I think he is, if he's wise enough to surround himself with people who will hold him accountable, not yes men and not yes women, but people who he gives permission for them to hold him accountable, God can use him very powerfully. If he doesn't do that, if he feels that he's good and he can take it on his own and he doesn't need accountability, uh, the enemy will whack him. And it'll be, you know, sexual sin, or it'll be cheating on his taxes. I mean, it'll, it'll be something that happens. Yeah, you know what I'm saying?
2: Or, or it could be, or it could be <clears throat> just not maybe those things. It could be just that people might just start getting sicker. You know, I mean,
0: yep, I, and yep, I hate to say true. this,
2: it's just you know, I mean, yeah. the way I feel, you know, felt last week and still trying to overcome it. I would never. Want to be in a bro- big group setting, you know, church or no church, I would never not want to be in that setting. You know, I respect what he's doing, but at this point, I mean, who knows? You know, what it could, yeah. the direction if he's not going to have accountability with other leaders, what can and, come out of it, right? And I'm not, I'm not so saying he. Covid nineteen.
0: I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm just saying if he doesn't, I don't know if he does or if
2: not. If it, does. that's what I'm. I, I yeah. agree with you.
0: Yeah. Because right uh, now
2: the biggest. Biggest concern is COVID 19, you know, than anything
0: else right now. Well, and remember, we've seen in Modesto this happen when Ed Silvoso uh-huh. came in 1997. And we yeah. had the Church of Modesto and the big, you know, the thousand right. of us at, at, at Promise Keepers, and we all had our own Church of Modesto t shirts. It was an act of God for that time. And, but we didn't handle it well. <clears throat> and uh-huh. God showed us why. One of the problems was we tried to make a program out of it instead of just continuing to respond to God. And the other thing was, to his credit, Ed Silvoso told us <clears throat> at the Ministerium, "You guys take this on; the enemy is going to come gunning for you in ways you have no idea." Mm-hmm. And we all said, "Ah, oh, yeah, we we know spiritual warfare. Yeah. We, we, yeah, 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 yeah." We had no idea. Pastors died. Family members got cancer. Uh, we had the big split. Um, we, we did not res- You have to respect, not worship, respect the power of the enemy. The Archangel Michael respects the power of the enemy. In other words, realizing that God has allowed the enemy to have a tremendous amount of power for now. hmm and it's good to respect yeah. that and so that we in in prayer prepare ourselves spiritually and have those accountability people. I think in today's world uh especially for male um leaders in the Christian community, if you don't have accountability people mm. you give permission to tell you, Mike, you're off course here. If you don't give them permission to do that, you're asking for a world of hurt. I, I firmly believe that. It's very, very important.
2: Pastor Mike, what's that guy's name, Sean? What?
0: Foyt, and it's F E U C H T. It's not like it sounds, but it, it sounds like
1: f- Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Foyt
0: like Voit footballs or basketballs. Yeah uh Foyt F E U C H T really is, and, and he looks like uh he looks like one of the Jesus people out of the nineteen seventies, actually. And, and and that that's kind of what it e- he is, you okay. know, just <clears throat> with that kind of passion and that kind of fervor. Yeah.
2: All right. Thanks. All right.
0: Okay. Any other uh, questions on that or comments? Okay. So now the Antichrist is able to uh, put down the revolts from the south and the north, but then Revelation 16 kicks in. The Euphrates River dries up, and it allows these massive troops from the east uh, to invade. Again, so he's able to, to hold off Russia. He's able to hold off the the uh, armies from, from Africa. All right. So just, just to remind you, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates river and uh, it dried up so that the Kings from the East could march their armies toward the West without hindrance.
2: That, that could be China, good. right? Be I mean, would good. that, that make sense? could be China.
0: I'm not going to make a case it is, but it certainly could be again. It's about 4,000 miles away. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And these are, or they were di- uh, demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God Almighty. Look, <clears throat> and this is Jesus speaking, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. So the, the, the frogs are a metaphor uh, for uh, demonic uh, evil spirits, and they emanate from the mouths metaphorically. <clears throat> from the dragon Satan, from the uh, beast, the Antichrist, and from the false prophet. And again, the purpose of these uh, demons is to convince the world's armies to uh, attack the uh, Antichrist and, and, and to, to thereby get themselves into a, the world power position. So what's really happening, and uh, again, in the in the dragons and the Satan's clever plan is to have these armies ready to go, under false pretenses for when Jesus touches down, and so he's honey, rolling how, out his plan.
1: Can I, can I ask a question? Yep. How has the Antichrist, who has been the uh, abil- who who or how has he been able to hold off two world? Uh, powers uh, through what ability? I mean, I, the I dragon. Don't... Yeah, but
0: that. Remember, the Antichrist is serving at the behest of of Satan, the dragon. And right, so but if he Satan. doesn't
1: have an army, how do you hold off physically well, these guys?
0: Well, well, because Satan has these amazing powers. And so he can direct the consequence of battles. And so he enables the Antichrist to hold off the the armies of the North and the armies of the South. Okay. Um, that's, that's within the powers that God is. Remember, God is allowing this to happen. This is all right. in God's timeline. And so he's allowing uh, these powers to be able to flex their muscles for a time. <laughs> you know. The judgment day is coming, but for now he's he's allowing that because uh, one of the reasons is God too wants all those people gathered at that place for when Jesus arrives, and he of course he knows Jesus is not Christ is not going to be defeated, uh, but to have all of these people gathered together is is fits right into God's plan and the and the prophecies of old. So while the enemy thinks he's Pretty clever uh, he's he's actually just playing into the plan that that God has already uh, already uh, put into play
1: so it's a demonic versus a physical army
0: no no they're they're physical armies, but they're demonically influenced. Remember these demons that come out of the mouths of the dragon, the false prophet, yeah. and the antichrist. Okay. <laughs> All of these armies are have this demonic power uh, assisting them. Yeah, so they're not just on their own. They they've got the power of Satan uh, with them via these metaphorical frogs or demons that out and and uh, and and touch these armies. Okay. Okay. Um. All right. Let's see, we're at, you want to go another couple minutes, or do you want to? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. The seventh bowl is about to be poured out, the final bowl of God's judgment. But before we go there, I want to go back to the last verses that we just read. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief blessed are those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place uh, with the Hebrew name Armageddon. And I want to insert the words of Zechariah again. Here is the Antichrist is poised to pummel Israel and, and the armies of the world want to pummel him and and uh, and there's just this monstrous pummeling of each other happening amongst the, these armies. Watch for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. This is Zechariah, again, 14, 1 through 4. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, the women raped, half the population will be taken into captivity, and the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fought in times past. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's Christ's return, the second coming east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move towards the north and half towards the south. So it's going to be quite... Uh, a scene there on the, on the Mount of Olives. All right. As we read through, remember, as as we're going to read the next couple of verses, the great city of Babylon is going to be referred to. Remember, this is not the historic Babylon, which was once the wealthiest city in the world, the most powerful city in the world. Uh, and under, remember it's, it's greatness under the crazy King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, The Babylon of old is located about uh, 55 miles south of, of present Baghdad. And remember, Babylon of old ceased to exist in 539 BC when Cyrus, King Cyrus, sacked the city for good. And there has been no Babylon since. Except, and this is really interesting, in case Alex Trebek ever asks you this question, Saddam Hussein tried to recreate Babylon in the late 70s and 1980s. I'm going to show you a picture here of what he tried to create. You're going to see the map we just saw first. Okay, here we go. See that? That was built by Saddam Hussein. Wow! Let me give you a little. Uh,
1: now is that the river there? Is that the Euphrates or the Tigris River?
0: Near it. This is one of the uh, approaches to it, and here's another wow. uh, close-up. To essentially, it, it sits on a on a big plateau. Let me give you some history here. Now, I'm quoting from uh, a website okay. called Atlas Obscura. Starting in 1983, Saddam Hussein imagining himself as the heir to Nebuchadnezzar ordered the rebuilding of Babylon. Like Nebuchadnezzar, Saddam Hussein has his name inscribed on the bricks, which were placed directly on top of the ruins of the old Babylon, some 2,500 years old. A sample of inscription translates this way. In the reign of the victorious Saddam Hussein, the president of the Republic, may God keep him the guardian of the great Iraq and the renovator of its Renaissance and the builder of its great civilization. The rebuilding of the great city of Babylon was done in 1987. That's the inscription. Hussein also added huge portraits of himself and Nebuchadnezzar at the entrance of the ruins. And it goes on to say, as most Iraqi men were fighting the bloody Iran-Iraq war, he brought thousands of Sudanese workers there to lay new yellow bricks over the old mud construction where Nebuchadnezzar's palace had stood. No one is sure what the palace looked like, but that didn't stop Saddam Hussein Uh, from his garish and quick reincarnation of the old splendor. At the end of the Persian Gulf War, Saddam Hussein commissioned a palace over uh, more Babylonian ruins in the same pyramid style as the Sumerian ziggurat, calling it Saddam Hill. The massive gaudy structure almost completely covered the original ruins and it outraged archaeologists. Saddam Hussein's plans for a cable line running over the Babylon site were halted during the uh, 2003 invasion. Invasion, rather, before Saddam Hussein's reconstruction, that there had already been destruction from the shifts in rivers and deserts, and still more from colonial powers. Germans took the Ishtar Gate, which is now the Pergamum Museum in Berlin while the French took ceramics, and the Turks used Babylonian bricks to build dams on the Euphrates. And then the last paragraph here, this is interesting. The occupation of United States forces also damaged the site. Following the 2003 invasion, the U.S. Camp Alpha was set up on the ruins of Babylon. Areas were leveled to create landing pads for helicopters and parking lots for vehicles. Tanks rumbled over the ancient bricks and Polish troops dug trenches through a temple. Soil holding artifacts and bones were scooped up into sandbags and even the military presence couldn't keep out the looters locally who ransacked Iraq's more than 10,000 Historic sites after the invasion. Isn't that interesting? So.
1: so what happened to this in the invasion?
0: Uh, it's still standing, but it's been looted. Wow. In, in, in other words, there's nothing valuable left. I don't have a current uh, picture of it. I think this is probably in its more of its splendor days. Um, one uh, one commentator referred to it as. Uh, a sleazy version of Disneyland. <laughs> um, so anyway, point being that except for Saddam Hussein, the great city of Babylon never rose again from the ashes of, of 539 uh, BC. All right, so Babylon we're about to see here in Revelation 16:17 is a newly constructed Babylon that is not there yet. It's uh, in the midst of a campaign against God in this campaign called Armageddon. And uh, in the midst of all of this, uh, Babylon is rebuilt. And God suddenly calls, that's enough. We're going to set the world right. All Verse. Right. Uh, I got about a minute and a half maybe to go. So hang in with me and we'll, we'll finish for today. All right.
1: Where is the Babylon that you're talking about this? It's, it,
0: it, it's generally in the same location, uh, probably. It's not built yet, so we don't know for sure. But basically, according to Revelation, it's probably going to be in the general area of where the ancient Babylonian ruins were. Okay. In Iraq. Yeah.
1: So kind of close to this monolith thing. G-
0: could that be. We're looking at. Yeah, it could be. All right. Verse 17. Here we go. We're going to finish out chapter 16. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple saying, it is finished. You remember that phrase from somewhere else? Uh
1: huh. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Uh-huh.
0: Then the thunder crashed and rolled and lightning flashed and a great earthquake struck the worst since people who were, since they had been placed on earth. Isn't that interesting? Remember Jesus saying it is finished. Remember the, 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 uh, the, yeah. the temple uh, temple and the, the veil. The veil was torn. And, and so we're having a repeat of this only on steroids, all right, affecting the whole world. All right, verse 19. The great city of Babylon, and this is the new city that hasn't been built yet. The great city of Babylon split into three sections. And the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So that might well be the United States of America, North America, Canada, Central America, South America. That earthquake may affect us, especially with the San Andreas Fault. And uh, North America may just turn to, to dust. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins. And he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. A little metaphorical talk going on there. Every island disappeared and all the mountains were leveled. Huge, catastrophic event happening here to the earth. There was a terrible hailstorm, and hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. They cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. And there are some scholars who say, you know, 75-pound hail is probably conservative. It could be somewhere between 70 and 100 pounds. Can you imagine hail coming down weighing 75 to 100 pounds? You're dead if it hits you, obviously. But the destruction will will just be uh, amazing. So, God's judgment is falling on Babylon. This is my interpretation, only mine, that this judgment is not only for that present Babylon, but the first, but for the sins of ancient Babylon as well, uh, the Tower of Babel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, all the all the terrible iniquities and the sinfulness of of Babylon, the evilness of it through the ages is going to be dealt here uh, by God. But Jerusalem is not destroyed here at this point. So the location again appears to be, uh, Laurie, in answer to your question, it's going to be uh, near the Euphrates River, and it will be the seat of where the Antichrist has set up his one government, world power. And notice, as we conclude here, you got 70 to 100 pound hail storm things coming down, killing people, destroying the earth, and the people still curse God in the midst of it.